know what I love about the song that we just listed, listened to is that the name, at the name of Jesus, even the darkness trembles. That it's that powerful of a name because it's the, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When you call on the name of Jesus in your life, and I know not everybody in this room has, but when you call on the name of Jesus in your life, that's the kind of power that you're calling on. It's the kind of power that even the darkness trembles at just the uttering of it. And what's amazing about God and what's amazing about Jesus is that whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he acknowledges you. Whether you love him or not, he loves you. There's power in that. And so we acknowledge this morning that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what um, discouragement or disappointment you're carrying with you right now in your life or issues that you don't know if they're going to be resolved, you need to know the moment you call on the name of Jesus, you are inviting a power that is supernatural into that situation. That's so powerful that even the darkness recedes when the light of Jesus enters. And so we just acknowledge that this morning. It's powerful to remember that. Now, we're in week three of our series called Shift. And the heart behind it is something that God wants for every single one of, that, uh, one of us, and that is to shift our paradigm, shift the way we, we think. Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul writes to us, and he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What Paul is bringing up, he's just saying, look, your beliefs drive your behaviors. He's revealing something important that you and I need to know. Transforming into a new person, into a better person, into the person that God designed you and created you to be transforming into the best version of who you are, who God designed you to be, starts with changing the way you think. Because our beliefs drive our behaviors. Our beliefs always drive our behaviors. So week one, we talked about unity. What does unity look like? And we wanted to shift our way of thinking about unity. Last week, we talked about purity. And we wanted to shift our way of thinking about purity to be more in line with God's way of thinking about Purity. And if you missed any one of those, go online. You can check those out um, on kensingtonorlando.org, and, and we'd love for you to kind of catch up with where this series at, is at. But we've been, look, this week we're moving on to harmony, by the way. So we've talked about unity, purity. Today is harmony. Um, we've been looking at the book of Ephesians, which was written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament. It was written a year before he was beheaded by the emperor of Rome while he was in prison, the last place he would ever live on this planet because he left prison to be beheaded. Um, and so he had started this church in a city called Ephesus, and he was writing back to them from prison to coach them on their belief and their behavior. So if you take Ephesians, it's, there's six chapters to the book. The first three chapters focus primarily on belief, the way that you think. The second three chapters, four through six, focus primarily on behavior. Because Paul's like, look, if I'm going to get people's behavior to change, it starts with their belief. 
Now, today is different than two weeks ago in a very simple way when we talked about unity. We, we looked at the disagreements among the church for thousands of years and why we have so many different denominations and people fighting within the body of Christ. And we uh, basically just said, hey, when it comes to the big C church, we're a little C church. There's a big C church, the church. We're all on the same team. When I look around this area, we're on the same team as LifeBridge and Mosaic and Crossroads and Harvest Bible Chapter, Chapel, um, Discovery, First Baptist, Winter Garden, Wintermere, Orlando, Holy Family, Forever Free, Citrus Church. Go on, and down the, go on down the churches that preach the message of Jesus Christ. We're on the same team. We have a unified mission to reach people for Jesus. We're calling this week Harmony because Paul shifts in his writing, shifts the conversation to focus on how people think inside the church and outside, but primarily inside the church, saying church members should get along. Democrats and Republicans inside the church should get along. Trump supporters and Trump haters should get along. Black, white, Latino, Brazilian, Puerto Rican, minimum wage earners, seven figures a year, CEOs, sanitational engineers, doctors, lawyers, plumbers, carpenters, we're called and can live in harmony inside the church and then outside the church. So I want to talk about relationships today, and I want to talk about how to resolve conflict God's way. But before I jump into it, let me pray. Um, Father, thank you for today. God, I pray that right now you would allow us to just drop whatever distractions we are carrying right now that might hinder us from hearing your voice. God, I pray that you would just bring a calmness to our spirit, a uh, a presence in this room that allows us to hear from you. God, I don't want anyone to hear my words. I want them to hear your voice through your scripture. So Lord, I ask that you would speak through me and I pray that your words would land on soft ears and hearts that might allow your words to get planted into fertile soil. In your holy name, amen. Now, I remember when I was a kid, my mom taught my brother and I how to sing harmony, um, to sing in harmony. And because my mom was a really great singer when she was young, um, she still is, but uh, she taught us how to sing in three-part harmony. And we would do that in the car whenever we were driving, and she taught us little songs, and we learned how to harmonize. And what's really cool is she is now um, teaching our, our, her granddaughters how to harmonize. My two daughters, my, my boys aren't interested, um, but my girls really want to know how to harmonize, and they're, they're, they're with their cousins. Alexa, who is my brother's daughter, and she's teaching them how to sing three-part harmony. And I'm just telling you, when they get it right, they're like 11, 10, and 9, I believe. When they get it right, it is gorgeous. It's like, wow. It's like, turn your head. Who's doing that? Amazing. Because it's so beautiful. Um, you know, and, and, and having been someone that learned how to do that, um, singing in harmony is, is somewhat difficult. But you know what is um, extremely difficult is living in harmony with other people, right? Like it's, it's hard to learn how to sing harmony. It's difficult to live in harmony with other people. And I'm going to tell you why. And you're going to be shocked at how wise in the depth that I go to in this next statement to just kind of talk about why it's so hard to live in harmony with people. So are you ready for something incredibly profound? This is about as deep as I go. Um, and that's this. Relationships are hard. <laughs> like, okay, that's it. Relationships are hard. And I'm just going to illustrate how hard relationships are with toilet paper, okay? Now, with this toilet paper, I just got to ask, who of you think this is how a toilet paper roll should be hung on the wall? 
Yeah, yeah, see, that's crazy. And you guys want to cheer about it because you feel so strongly that toilet paper is best served right side up, okay? Now, let's see if the other side actually cares. How many of you really like your toilet paper like this coming off the wall? Anybody? Yeah, see, nobody really cares. Okay, we got one. Like, it's like nobody really cares about that. Now, how many of you just don't care as long as you have toilet paper, right? Like, there's a few. You're like, I just am glad to have this, this bad boy here. But it's like we fight over toilet paper. Like, I've gone in and I've had to rearrange toilet paper in somebody else's house because they did it wrong, right? Like, that's the way it goes. Don't worry. I don't say a thing about it. I just write a smiley face on the last piece I didn't use. Okay, just kidding. But just in our family, so there's six of us. Um, we have four kids, uh, the ages nine to 16 right now, two boys, two girls. And um, there's just conflict in our home. When we sit down to play a board game, we cannot get through a single game together as a family without someone ending up crying quitting or being so upset that they cannot finish the game. That's one game. And then what's great about it is my family, they come and get me in my room and they bring me back to finish the game, okay? That's what they do. Um, but I'm just kidding me. I'm not kidding you. Regularly in our family, if we go to play a game, 98% of the time, there's some type of argument that just doesn't go well. Somebody is out of sorts with somebody else just playing a game. Um, we have a new rivalry in town with the opening of Windermere High School um, and West Orange High School. So how many of you people are West Orange High School people? Let me hear you. West Orange High School? Okay, so lame. I hope Windermere just kicks your butt right now. All right, let me hear you Windermere High School people. Yeah, see? I'm a warrior, right? I'm sad for us right now. But that's okay. What was the score of the game on Friday night? Yeah, 56, 60 something to seven. Yeah, something like that. But anyways, um, even that, like just between high schools, there's rivalry, there's conflict. Um, when I was growing up, Keith and I, my younger brother by 14 months, um, man, I, I, as an older brother, I just had this knack for knowing how to push buttons, right? Older brothers and sisters, like that's what we're good at. And so I knew how to just push Keith to the edge of rage and then tap him enough to get him over the edge. And then I would take off running because when my brother got into a rage, literally he would grab anything close to him and throw it or come at me with it. He like grabbed knives before, not joking. So I pushed, I got him to the edge of rage. I could see it just boiling up, boiling up. And I'm like, Bink! and then he goes into a rage and I run, right? That's what I do. And I'd lock myself in the closest door that had a lock on it. Okay. So I split from him. I run to the bathroom, lock myself in it. And I hear him coming like a bull. He's like, Rawr! and he's running at the door, getting louder. He hits the bathroom door so hard. He literally cracks the frame in half and the door caves in. It was like Jack Nicholson in the shining without the ax. He's like, here's Johnny. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So What's cool about that is he broke the door so bad we immediately became allies because we needed to fix the door so we didn't get in trouble. So that kind of ended that. But relationships are hard, and because relationships are hard, conflict is common to all relationships. Common to all relationships. If you are in conflict with someone that you have a relationship with right now, you're normal, right? You're normal. That is normal. Welcome to being a human. Welcome to being alive, having a pulse, and breathing air in your lungs. Because any relationships we have, there will be conflict. And here's what's interesting about conflict. Most people, and I meet people all the time, they're, they're getting married, they got into that infatuated um, part of their relationship, and they're talking about marriage, and they want to talk about each other, and they come and talk to me, and they're like, we've been together for, for 18 months, we've been together for 9 months, we've been together for 8 months, and we have never fought. 
We're so in love. We're so compatible. And I'm like, you are lying to each other. That's what you're doing. Because if you're in relationship, you're going to have conflict. You do not determine the health of a relationship by whether or not there's conflict. Like if you think that if you have a great relationship, there will not be conflict, you are, you are believing a lie. That's not how you gauge the health of a relationship. How you gauge the health and determine the health of a relationship is, is how we handle conflict. That's how you determine the health of a relationship or not. In that relationship, when conflict arises, why? Because you're human. Do you handle the conflict well? And if you do, you can say, we have a really great relationship. But if you go, we are so good, there's not a bit of conflict with anything. I don't know if you really are in a deep relationship because I haven't experienced um, that. And I'll just tell you, man, uh, when, when, when my wife and I, we first got married, we go for our first round of counseling. Um, and we were 23, 24, 22. I was 23, she was 22. And we go to counseling. We've been together three or four years dating. And, and we go with Steve Andrews. He did our wedding. And we sit before him. And we're just like, yeah, man, tell us about getting married. Let's get this thing going. You know, done. And he just looks at Melissa first. And he's just like, he's like, Melissa, he's totally serious. He's like, he's going to hurt you deeper than you've ever been hurt in your entire life. And then he just stops. And I'm sitting there listening to him going like, dude, shut up. Like, the ring's not on the finger yet. You know, it's like, come on. And then the same breath, he looks at me and he says, and Kevin, she's going to hurt you deeper than you've ever been hurt. And I just got to tell you, in 21 years of marriage, he was right. She has hurt me so bad in our marriage. I'm telling you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Couldn't have been more true words said at the beginning of a marriage. God's dream for your life is that you experience harmony in your relationships, not a lack of conflict, but conflict that's handled well, that's how you get to harmony. God's dream for the church is harmony. And what's so compelling about the potential of the church is, is the church is supposed to be a community of people connected deeply with God who not only get along, but they celebrate each other. They celebrate each other. So we're going to talk about conflict, and I want to shift our way of thinking about conflict. I was talking to Bill Malott um, about conflict this last week, and he's our executive pastor, um, a great guy, and he just says, man, I love conflict. And I'm like, me too. That's why we get along so well. We just fight and then hug afterwards. I'm just kidding. Um, but actually, no, he, he actually backed off. He said, I love conflict. And he's like, well, let me restate that. He's like, I don't love conflict. I love the results of conflict. I love the results of conflict when it's done well. Because when you do conflict well in your relationships, it brings a sweetness and a depth and an understanding that is just different than if there's never any conflict or you just ignore it or shove it under the rug. So we've got to step in and handle conflict well. If you're going to follow Christ, I'm going to speak to you as a believer. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ right now, God calls you to live in harmony with not only just other people in the church, but in, with all people for the sake of the mission and the message of Jesus Christ. There is a calling on your life to harmony with other people. And I know some of you non-Christians in the room, you might be in the back of your mind just going, thank you. Why? Because maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago in your life, you saw some of the most ugly, vitriolic stuff coming out of the church that your parents took you to that you've never gone back, or you've just been hurt by the church because people didn't get along inside of the church, and you don't want anything to do with God. And I'll just tell you, we sometimes horribly represent the intentions of who God is and what Jesus calls us to. 
So I want to talk today about relationships and conflict, and I want to talk about the power for harmony in our relationships. I want to talk about the power in harmony um, in our relationships and the process to harmony in our relationships. So let's start with the first one, the power for harmony in our relationships. In the belief portion of Ephesians, Paul is speaking into where the power for harmony comes from, Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. He took diametrically opposed people, the Jews who thought they, were, they did all the right things, very religious, and that everyone else was unclean, and Gentiles who were the unclean people that the Jews looked at and said, you're unclean because you're not following the, the, the laws and the rituals. Um, he brought them together as one people. He brought peace to us. He united them into one people when, in his own body, on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his death, he put to death the hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. And just so you know what that is speaking to, um, I, I got to be honest with you, as a pastor, I hate religion. I believe Jesus hated religion as well. Religion is basically a set of man-made rules that exist to get you to work your way to heaven or to God or to being in right standing with him. That's what was going on in the Bible. The Jews were like, hey, we follow the laws we're better than you. You don't, so you are sinners and you are evil and you are the scum of the earth. Jesus came and said, I have abolished that system. You are now saved by grace. You are saved by believing in me, nothing else. It is not by works. It is not by doing good. It is not following the laws. It's a relationship with me, period. He did this. Or he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death with his death. That's the power of the cross. Where does the power for harmony come from? It comes from Jesus creating one group under his name out of multiple groups or factions. He put the hostility that exists between people naturally to death. Meaning, simple answer, I'll even give you a hint, this is the churchiest answer you will ever think of. Where does the power for harmony in our lives come from? Jesus, you win. Ding, 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 ding. That's the Sunday school answer. It comes from Jesus. It's that song we sang before I got up here. Jesus is where we get the power for harmony. The darkness trembles at the name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of Jesus brings harmony to all people, especially those who call themselves Christians. If you are going to live a life of peace and harmony with others inside and outside of the church, the power to do that comes from Jesus in you. Why? Because on the cross, he put to death the hostility between you and any other person. It not only reconciled you with God, it fixed the broken relationships that we have, and suddenly we get the power to heal our relationships, to reconcile our relationships. And if you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced his power in your life, maybe today's where you invite him into your life for the first time and accept the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit living in you that gives you the power for harmony in your life. Maybe that's what you're looking for. Maybe that's why you're here. Now, this is the theology, the thinking of what happens when people who are different come together in this family called the church. We have the power for harmony. 
through the power of Jesus. That's the fuel. Now, let's talk about the power in harmony. Um, if you see a car, you car guys are going to love this. If you see a car and you watch it, it can go from zero to 60 in under four seconds. Um, do you think when you open the hood, you're going to find a wee little four-cylinder um, lawnmower engine in that car? Is that possible? No, it's not possible. That's not what you're going to find in a car that can go zero to 60 in under four seconds. When you open the hood of that thing, you're going to find a supercharged six to eight cylinder fuel injected something or other that's going to be staring back at you with a, a bunch of horses in there that's just going to propel that car from zero to 60. Like if you open the hood, you can't see it when it's driving down the road, but if you open the hood, that's what's in that car. If you see two people or a group of people living in true harmony and you look under the hood of their relationship, you know what you're going to find. If you pop the hood of harmony, you find forgiveness. While Jesus is the fuel that harmony runs off of, the engine is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. A great marriage is made up of two forgivers. It's the only way you have a great marriage, is two forgivers. A great friendship is made up of two forgivers. Not one, two forgivers. A great church is made up of a community of forgivers. Paul moves into the behave portion of Ephesians, and he says this in verse 31 of chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, that's a key word for shift your thinking. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as, literally in the same way that Christ, God through Christ has forgiven you you. In other words, what Paul is saying is treat each other this way just like Christ has treated you. God forgave you through Jesus. He's given you forgiveness. Pass it on. Give that to other people throughout the New Testament. Jesus and other writers tell us that a hallmark of being a disciple should be that we as Christians are the most forgiving people in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you would stand before me and we would have a conversation eye to eye, knee to knee, we're sitting down at Starbucks and I say, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? You go, yes. Guess what? You should be one of the most forgiving people in the world. And there's a reason why you should be because once you realize that Jesus Christ has forgiven you for every past wrong thing you've ever done, any current wrong thing you're doing right now, and any future wrong thing you choose to do, when you realize that you've been forgiven from your past all the way into your future as long as you are on this planet, there's something that you do when you realize the reality of that forgiveness. It's what forgiven people do. Forgiven people forgive people. That's what forgiven people do. Forgiven people forgive people. Does it mean that you stay in an abusive relationship? If you forgive and you stay in it, no, you get safe, but then you start working on the steps to forgiveness. And sometimes it takes a long time to forgive someone, but that means you're currently taking steps to work towards forgiveness. Why? Because forgiven people forgive people. If you want a life of harmony and peace, the engine that gets you there is forgiveness. The fuel is Jesus Christ. The engine is forgiveness. 
which is one of the keys to life inside the church and outside the church of harmony. And this is where we step into looking at the process to harmony. There's a process to conflict resolution. Now, before we, I give you that, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys want to come on down. And I'll just say this, for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give to God from what he's blessed us with. Many of you give online. Thank you for that. If you want the easiest way to give at Kensington, it is online. You can set up recurring giving or giving or one-time gifts, whatever you want to do. So as we're passing the basket, don't give the stink eye to anybody. You know, they don't put anything in. It's like, hey, they might just give online. But for those of you that don't that, that don't call Kensington home yet, you're here checking us out, let the basket go by. We don't want you to feel obligated in this moment to give anything. We want God to move you towards that in your future with him as you follow him. Now, I want to jump into something that I'm really excited about because this is so crystal clear out of the words of Jesus. So we, you know, if you've got a Bible with red letters, which I think you should have a Bible with red letters in it, and all the red letters in it are spoken by Jesus um, because his, le- his words are so powerful, he actually gives us um, five steps to conflict resolution in Matthew 18. I'm going to walk you through them because this is literally life-changing for everyone in the room, and it'll change your life today if you go through and start working through this. Matthew 18, 15. Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to Bill Malott. He would love to take that for for you. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now, let's break this down because it's so straightforward. This passage includes everything we need to know for biblical conflict resolution. And I will just tell you, I tried this for the first time in my life as a 15, 16-year-old kid with the conflict I was having with someone else in my class. And I did this and I, I... I haven't stopped since because it absolutely it actually worked. Like as a 15, 16-year-old, I did this, and I'm like, wow, that worked. It was way easier than I thought. So what is, what's the steps? Um, step one, you find in verse 15, if another believer, if someone sins against you, go privately point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Step one is go. It's just go. You be the initiator of a resolution. You have a conflict with someone. It's unresolved. You initiate resolution. Don't wait on them. If there's a relational rift, no matter who caused it, you go. And I know I've talked to people, well, they don't want to talk to me, I'm not talking to them. You know, they, they don't want to do anything. They haven't, they, they haven't acknowledged the fact that they did something wrong, so I'm not even going to tell them. When's the last time you talked to them? 1989. You know, what's going on? Like, what, why? You, Jesus is saying, you take the first step. It doesn't matter if you were in the wrong or they were in the wrong. You initiate reconciliation. Don't sit by the phone waiting. You'll wait a long time. Jesus, first off, you go. Step two, go alone. So important. Step two, don't gossip with anybody else. Don't, do, don't tell the details to anybody. Just you go and work it out with them. Don't do the Christian gossip. What do we do? This is how Christians gossip. We, get, we kind of hide it underneath prayer. Guys, we really need to pray about something. <laughs> I need your prayers. And here, let me tell you what's going on. And really, it's just gossip. You just want to couch it in prayer so you can tell somebody. God, Jesus just says, no, go directly to the source. 
Immediately, go alone. And I'm just telling you, when someone comes to me, and they do every now and then, when someone comes to me and they say, hey, I need to talk to you about something, some way that you hurt me or something that you did that didn't sit well with me, and I haven't talked to anybody else. I wanted to talk to you first. Do you realize what a gift that is that they just gave me? It's like, I love that. Why? Because what I'm finding out is that they, they, they really, um, they really uh, take God's word seriously when it comes to conflict resolution. They not only came to me, but they came alone. I love that. When I've done that, usually it's worked out there. The, the step three, go to be reconciled. This is all about your motives. Go, go alone, go to be reconciled. This is like seek to listen and be heard. Seek understanding. Don't go to win the argument. Don't go to shame the other person. Don't go to make demands of restitution. Don't go to point out all the wrong things they did. Go to build a bridge. Go to win them over, as Jesus said it. And what's really interesting about this is, is you've probably done what I do. It's like, man, when I go into a conversation like this, I make my list. I, I write stuff down sometimes, and I got my bullet points of all the stuff that they did wrong. Um, and Jesus says, no, go to reconcile, which means we need to do something that I'm going to give you some dad wisdom here. Um, what, one, I, I, I'm a dad, so I have this kind of wisdom. It just naturally bubbles out of me. Um, but, but you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You heard that one? Right, right? You know why? So that you could listen more than you speak. When you go into conflict and you go to listen more than you speak, you will be amazed. And I, just because for me, I go in with my list of five things. I'm amazed when I go in to just listen. By the time the other person just tells me what's going on and, and what happened and, and where they were coming from and what's going on in their life, you know where that list of five things usually is? It's on the floor because it doesn't matter anymore because I actually listened and heard their heart and understood the situation. So I don't have to go through my five things, and sometimes I still do, but rarely because we get onto other things because I'm going to reconcile. 90% of your relational breakdowns will be healed by just applying this one passage of Scripture, just following those first three steps. There's two more to go. Jesus, like, he made sure we knew how to do this. Step four is go now. Go now. It's so important that Jesus says, if you realize that, there's, uh, that there is a forgiveness issue on the table, there's a conflict resolution er issue on the table, it takes priority to even going to church. Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go and be reconciled to them, then come and talk to God. It's like Jesus is just setting priority. He's saying, look, don't even come to church. Okay, don't listen to him because I really want people here next week. <laughs> if you realize something's going on, you go fix it. That, he's just saying priority, you've got to do it. If we followed this right now, some of you need to get up and walk out. Some of you would need to like turn to the side and have a conversation, right? Go now. And then step five is let it go. Let it go. An offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. An offense is an event. Offenses are going to happen in our relationships, but being offended, living offended, holding on to offend, uh, being offended, that's a choice we make. We choose to live with the grip of the grudge or we live the open-handed of forgiveness. We can live open, the open hand, with the open hand of forgiveness. And just so you know what it means to forgive, it's this. When a person forgives another person, you are promising to do three things. Not use it against the wrongdoer in the future. Not to talk about it with other people and not to dwell on it yourself. And if you're not committing to doing that, do not say, I forgive you until you're ready to do exactly those three things and you are willing to not use it against them in the future, you're willing to not talk about it with other people and you're, not, you're willing to not dwell on it yourself. So the process, go, 
go alone, go to reconcile, go now, and then let it go. If all of us in this room would just commit to doing this in our current relationships, I believe we would start experiencing the harmony that Paul is speaking about in Ephesians. And when we do that, you know what that leads to? A melody and a message that the world can sing together with us. Because there's something that happens when we don't live in harmony as the church. It's just like, how many of you have been to a, 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 seen a live band play and someone is really struggling to hit the right notes? Have you guys ever um, been to a concert where that's happening? And what happens when that happens is, are you listening to the song anymore or paying attention to the words? No, you're going, man, what's going on? Because that sounds terrible. You know, you might not know what's terrible, but you know, and you're distracted by it. And I'll just tell you, that's what happens to the world when we don't live in harmony. They're distracted by our disharmony and they miss the message. When I was, um, uh, uh, I was, I was a youth pastor at a large church called Northridge, my last church before um, Kensington. Uh, we started down here. Um, and uh, I had started with the youth ministry. And uh, in my former life before then, I was in a band for eight years and I played drums and sang backups and then I led worship. And so I was leading worship in the youth ministry. And, uh, and the, I didn't know this, but the, but the worship guy was sneaking in the back of the room and watching me do it. And he decides, he's like, hey man, I really want him up on the main stage. So they come to me and they go, hey, we want you to play on the main stage. Now the main stage, big stage, 3,000 seat auditorium, four services. So you're, you're talking eight to 12,000 people in a weekend. And they're like, we want you to lead worship for us this, this you know, in the next month. And I'm just like, <laughs> let me go change my underwear. But sure, I'll do it. I don't want to miss the opportunity. So my very first time up, up leading worship, I'm so nervous and I'm so rigid and I'm so, uh, I'm so afraid because it's just way out of my wheelhouse um, that I'm playing so hard on the guitar. Um, a third of the way through the first song, I literally hit the strings and I break one of the biggest strings on the guitar. It breaks off down here and it's hanging over here and it keeps getting in the way of my fingers, um, hitting the right notes and the right strings. And so all of a sudden in my in-ear monitors, I'm playing and all of a sudden it's like, bang bang, bong, bang, and I'm trying to sing, and I'm trying to make sense of where my guitar is, and I don't have the sense to stop playing, so I keep playing, and this is what happens. I start seeing people not looking at the screens anymore. I start seeing people kind of go, you know, get this little, you know, and they start looking for what's going on, and it's me. So the problem is, I don't stop playing. It gets super hot in there. I start sweating profusely out of places in my body I didn't know you sweat from. I'm sweating. My face turns super red, and I'm up on this iMag screens, like my head's 20 feet round, like on these screens, and they're seeing super red face, sweating down, bing, bang, bong, I totally wrecked the whole moment. Here's what happened in that moment. People lost the message that we were trying to sing about God. And started looking at the disharmony that they were hearing on stage. And I'm just telling you, when we in the church live in disharmony, the world misses the message that we are called to portray and tell the world about. And we lose the ability to reach people for Christ. That's why you need to live a life of harmony if you're a follower of Jesus. That's why we need to as the church. It's literally world-changing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you have called us to live lives of harmony with each other because when we do that, we become a lighthouse to a world that is just tossed around on the seas. Father, I pray for everyone in this room right now that has ongoing conflict right now. God, I pray that you would just bring peace to that situation and give them the courage to step out and lead, to go to go alone, to go to reconcile, to go now, and then to let it go. God, help them to walk through your process of reconciliation. 
God, I pray for those of us in the room that we've never reconciled with you. We've never asked for your forgiveness and invited Jesus into our life so that you could change us and give us the power for harmony. God, I pray for anyone in this room that's never accepted you, God, that today would be their day and over the next few minutes they would invite you into their life. That they would ask for your forgiveness and ask for your help as all of us need.